My name is Paola Gaeta and I'm a professor of international law at the Graduate Institute of International and Development Studies in Geneva. In this lecture, I will deal with the so-called pluralism of international criminal law. International criminal law, as we, as we know, is a branch of public international law. <clears throat> Therefore, it is no surprise that every textbook on international criminal law explains that the rules are created through the sources which are very well known to any international lawyer, namely customs, treaties as primary sources of international law, and additional sources eventually provided by a rule of custom or international law or contained in a treaty, what we call the secondary sources, such as decisions of bodies of international organizations, such as the Security Council decisions, and finally, general principles of, of law common to domestic legal systems. This means that international criminal law, being part of public international law, therefore consists of rules that govern the ascription to individuals of criminal responsibility for crimes under international law that are contained in custom and often also in treaties having a universalistic scope or a normative character, such as the Genocide Conventions. There may be also, however, secondary rules, secondary sources, namely decisions of the Security Council that may be relevant, such as the Security Council decision to enact the statutes establishing the International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia and Rwanda that contain a definition of crimes under the jurisdiction of those tribunals as well as some general principles for the ascription of criminal responsibility. And finally, general principles of law that may fill the lacune, if any, and under certain conditions of the previous sources. Under this scheme, international criminal law may be considered as a relatively uniform body of rules, which only under very specific circumstances, such as when there is an applicable decision of the Security Council that derogate from custom or treaty, would be governed by different rules. However, this way of presenting international criminal law tends to oversimplify the matter. This is because international criminal law is not only international, it's also criminal. And this means that since it deals with criminal liability of individuals, more than in the case of other branches of international law, it is highly jurisdiction dependent. What I mean by that, it mean, I mean that the ascription of criminal responsibility to individuals for crimes under international law will be necessarily regulated primarily by the rules that the relevant judicial authority, an international tribunal or a national criminal court, is bound to apply. And these rules may vary depending on what the judicial authority carrying out the criminal proceedings have to apply. And this leads to what it is termed the pluralism of international criminal law. This means that although international criminal law contains rules of general purpose, at the same time it would be wrong to assume that an individual who is charged with an international crime will be facing the same rules will be adjudicated based on the same criminal rules. 
Let's see how and why these situations arise. First of all, there is the fact that international criminal law is first of all administered and applied by international criminal courts and tribunals. These international criminal courts and tribunals, such as the International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia or for Rwanda, or the Special Court for Sierra Leone, or the International Criminal Court, and so on, all these tribunals are established by virtue of an ad hoc international instrument that has been negotiated for the purpose of the creation of such judicial body, but also for the purpose of conferring this judicial body a jurisdiction over certain crimes. Therefore, the statutes of those international criminal courts and tribunals would contain rules delimiting the jurisdiction of the relevant judicial body. And these rules, as I said, may be, well, rules defining the crimes under the jurisdiction of the international court or tribunal, or defining the general principles for the ascription of criminal responsibility that these courts and tribunals shall apply. And the content of these rules may vary depending on the particular historical moment which has brought about the creation of the court or tribunal, depending on who were the, drafting, um, in the, drafting, the drafters of such courts and tribunals, and so on and so forth. I can take an example, for instance, crimes against humanity. Crimes against humanity are crimes that have been defined in the Nuremberg Tribunal Charter in almost identical terms in the Tokyo Tribunal Charter. But the definition of crimes against humanity contained, for instance, in the Statute of the International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia in the 90s, does not coincide with the definition of crimes against humanity enshrined in the London Charter and the Charter of the Tokyo Tribunal. Also, the definition of crimes against humanity contained in the Statute of the International Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda does not coincide with the definition of such crimes in the Statute of the Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia. Moreover, the definition of crimes against humanity in the Rome Statute establishing the International Criminal Court is different from the definition in the statutes of the previously mentioned tribunals. This means, in practice, that an individual who is charged with a crime against humanity may be facing different criminal rules depending on the jurisdiction that has, uh, it has been tried by. The same would apply for other principles of criminal law, such as the defense of obedience to superior orders. The availability of such defense is being ruled out in the Nuremberg Charter and in the Tokyo Tribunal Charter. Similarly, it has been ruled out in the statutes of the Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia and the Statute of the International Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda. However, Article 33 of the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court seems to allow the availability of such defense for war crimes and aggression when certain requirements are met. Again, this means that depending on which tribunal is exercising jurisdiction over an individual, this individual may be subject to criminal rules that are different depending on the jurisdiction trying him or her.
Another factor that has that leads to the so-called pluralism of international criminal law relates to the fact that international criminal law is a body of law that can also be applied by national criminal jurisdiction. In fact, the establishment of international criminal courts and tribunals does not rule out the possibility for national criminal jurisdiction to prosecute and punish crimes under international law. On the contrary, for instance, the principle of the duty for national criminal jurisdiction to prosecute persons responsible for crimes under international law has been affirmed in the Rome Statute in establishing the International Criminal Court on the basis of the so-called principle of complementarity that recognizes the primary duty of national jurisdiction to deal with criminal responsibility for international crimes. Now, since national jurisdiction also exercises criminal jurisdiction over persons responsible for crimes under international law, it is only natural that the relevant applicable rules would be those that a national judge finds in the national criminal legislation. And the national criminal legislation on international crimes does not necessarily is identical everywhere in every state and even more does not necessarily correspond to the relevant criminal rules contained in the statutes of international criminal courts and tribunals since, as I said before, those rules have the only purpose of establishing the jurisdiction of international criminal courts and tribunals and delimiting such jurisdiction, but they do not oblige states to have similar definitions in their national criminal legislation. Therefore, every state is free to legislate in this matter and often has to do so on the basis of a treaty to which it is a party, such a state is a party, that may be relevant for the prosecution and punishment of international crimes. One of such treaties is, for instance, the Convention for the Prevention and Repression of the Crime of Genocide, or we can refer to the penal provisions contained in the Geneva Conventions of 1949 for the protections of victims of warfare that constitute war crimes, as well as those grave breaches contained in the first additional protocol to the Geneva Conventions. We may also think, for instance, of the Convention for the Repression and Punishment of the Crime of Torture, but also the Convention on First Disappearances, and so on and so forth. All these treaties, they do contain international definition of, of the relevant offence, and states' parties to those treaties are obliged to criminalize such offenses in their municipal law. However, when they do so, they may change the international definition for different purposes or for different reasons, and they are at liberty to do so in the exercise of their sovereign power in criminal matters. For instance, even in the case of the definition of genocide that is contained in the Genocide Convention and is considered to be reflecting customer international law, you might find national criminal legislation punishing genocide with a definition that does not correspond in, in total to the international definition. 
For instance, certain national legislation have expanded the definition of genocide, for instance, by providing that groups against which crime, the crime of genocide may be committed may be others uh, additional to those listed in the Genocide Convention. So the Genocide Convention limits the, the groups against which genocide may be committed to racial, national, religious, and, and national groups. And some states have added to this list political groups, social groups, cultural groups, and so on and so forth. At the same time, also some acts constituting genocide under the international definition have been also added by national municipal legislation that might have included also acts not included in the international definition. So you see here, national criminal legislation may lead to a sort of fragmentation of the relevant rules that are defined at the international level, contributing therefore to the so-called pluralism of international criminal law. There is also another factor. The factor is that also states, even when they are parties to these treaties on the prosecution and punishment of crimes under international law, may lack the necessary incorporating legislation, may fail to enact the implementing legislation that would criminalize such crimes under international law. So in most cases, in some cases, there is no municipal legislation that national judges may apply for punishing crimes under international law as it is provided by a relevant international treaty or relevant penal provisions contained in a treaty. In these cases, most of crimes under international law may be prosecuted at the national level by using domestic charges. For instance, if a national jurisdiction does lack a national criminal legislation criminalizing, for instance, crimes against humanity, it may well use the national judge, the domestic offense of murder, to prosecute what we would consider to be a crime against humanity. This has been the case, for instance, of trials which have been conducted in countries such as Argentine and others as well, where the prosecution of crimes against humanity has been carried out through domestic municipal offenses such as murder and equivalent serious offenses. All this is international criminal law. Therefore, it would be wrong to assume that international criminal law is a monolithic body of criminal rules that apply identical before every criminal jurisdiction. Quite the contrary. It is highly jurisdiction-dependent, which means, therefore, that is an archipel which is comprising different islands depending on the relevant jurisdiction at stake. Is this a problem? Well, it depends on the perspective we take. If we take the perspective of the accused or of the victims, it may be not the best solution to have different rules, criminal rules, depending on the relevant criminal jurisdiction at stake, because the relevant accused may receive different treatment depending on the, nation, or depending on the criminal jurisdiction that has dealt with his or her case. And this may be also unsatisfactory to victims of crimes under international law. 
At the same time, this fact is the natural consequence of the fragmentation of criminal jurisdiction in the current international community, which consists of sovereign states, which are sovereign in criminal matters, and therefore they have own criminal rules, they follow all criminal procedures, and so on and so forth. At the same time, is a necessary consequence of the fact that international criminal courts and tribunals, when they are established, they are established ad hoc with a negotiating process of the constitutive instrument. At the same time, we shall not be, in a way, exaggerating the concerns because what matters in this international criminal law gives a sort of compass to national and international jurisdictions as well. It will establish the values that need to be protected through criminal sanctions in a universal manner, in a thin manner also, leaving therefore every relevant jurisdiction to deal with the prosecution and repression of those crimes in the way that is considered most suitable depending on the circumstances of the case. Having clarified that international criminal law is a pluralistic body of law, let's now try to clarify what is meant by international criminal law. I've said before that international criminal law comprises all the rules of international law that establish the responsibility of individuals for crimes under international law. But the fact remains that we might have different understandings of what crimes under international law are. According to Van Bu, crimes under international law are only those crimes whose criminalization is provided for by rules of customer international law, establishing directly the responsibility of individuals under international law, even absent a national municipal legislation. On the other hand, there are those who contend that the notion of crimes under international law is much bigger because it also comprises crimes that are defined in international treaties that not necessarily have turned into customer international law, but nonetheless their prohibition is still enshrined in an international treaty. We can take as an example the treaties concerning the prohibition of trafficking in human beings or other similar treaties, counterfeiting of currency and so on and so forth. According, therefore, to the second view, international criminal law would also comprise the international criminal responsibility of individuals for crimes that are defined in international treaties, independently of whether these uh, definitions have turned into rules of customer international law. There is another way of understanding international criminal law, namely by referring to the national rules in criminal matters that establish the level of cooperation between states in judicial matters. In this respect, therefore, every country would have applicable rules whenever the criminal case has a so-called international element. This may be given, for instance, by the fact that the accused person is not found in the territory of the state, but is instead found in the territory of another state. In this case, the national criminal legislation would establish a procedure for the request of extradition of such accused person, and this extradition may also be regulated by an extradition treaty between countries. In addition, the relevant state may need to cooperate with other states 
for collecting evidence, in particular because, for instance, some parts of the offense has been committed have been committed abroad in the preparatory acts of a criminal offense that takes place in the territory of the state, and so on and so forth. This would be, for some commentators, also international criminal law, because it would be that part of national criminal law that deals with an international element in the course of criminal investigation or criminal proceedings. In, in international criminal law, however, usually we refer to international criminal law proper when we speak of crimes under the first meaning, namely crimes under international law that entail the international criminal responsibility of individuals directly under international law. There is some sort of disagreement of what crimes are crimes under international law proper. The list certainly includes the so-called core crimes, namely the crimes that have been subject to the jurisdiction of international criminal courts and tribunals established since Nuremberg, and the list therefore comprise crimes against peace, aggression, crimes against humanity, war crimes and genocide. Other commentators would add to the list of core crimes, the crime of torture, the crime of enforced disappearance, and the crime of apartheid. These three last categories of crimes, torture, enforced disappearances, and apartheid, although they are prohibited by an international treaty defining the elements of these offenses, have, however, not included per se, in the jurisdiction of international criminal courts and tribunals. They are included, however, as specific underlining offenses of crimes against humanity, for instance. Therefore, a crime against humanity may be also the crime of torture, the crime of enforced disappearance, or the crime of apartheid, but it's necessary that these three offenses, they form part of crimes against humanity, sharing their constitutive elements.